You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everyone. It is Pierce, host of the PJ's Cast. And if you enjoy listening to the PJ's Cast as much as we do recording it, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends no matter what platform you may be on. We love discussing the Chicago Blackhawks and, of course, the game of hockey, but we want to reach this out to a wider audience, and doing all those things really help us out. So once again, if you enjoy the PJ's Cast, please leave a positive review, subscribe, and share with friends. And I hope you guys enjoyed the upcoming podcast episode. Welcome everyone to the PJ's cast. My host Pierce alongside my usual co-host Dylan, but uh, making his yearly appearance on the show, we have Ben Pope joining again. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing well. Uh, a little busier than I thought it would be this week, but happy to be on. That's good. We're glad to have you back on again. Um, so the Blackhawks, like the trade deadline has passed. We're down to the final month of the season. I think the Blackhawks only have 12 games to, uh, left to be played. And I remember the last time we had you on was in August when they made all those big uh, off-season moves, acquiring Seth Jones and Marc-Andre Fleury. And there was maybe some hope that they could compete for a uh, wild-card spot and be competitive this year and fast-forward whatever, eight or months or whatever it's been there. <laughs> I saw your tweet last night where uh, if they lost to Arizona in regulation, they would have been eliminated from playoff contention. But Still they, alive. They, yeah, still they're, alive. Still, alive. they're still alive. And I think that sums up like the Blackhawks season perfectly, that they they still lost in overtime. Where it's like, hey, we, we're still alive in the, the playoff contention. So, um, And we saw Kyle Davidson say that this team needs a rebuild, and obviously they're going to be in it for the long haul when you see that they trade Brandon Hagel for – 2023 and 2024 first round picks and but there's still like a lot of questions to be answered with this team like is Derek King going to be the head coach going forward do they look for another head coach is Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane still going to be here like what do they like they don't have any goalies time for next year and that's just you know on ice stuff like what are what is this team going to do off ice to help like like build up its reputation again because it's just in it's in the basement right now and that's being friendly so there's a a lot of questions to ask, but uh, I just I just want to yeah, ask, like, yeah, um, like before we get into any of that, what since we finally like last season, it was just limited to like a few cities that you'll be able to travel to, and I'm just wondering what what it's been like finally being able to travel to all over the place again and covering all these different or like going to all these different arenas, the arenas and cities. Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, just knocked off my final one in Florida last week so all then all 32 now if you include back to the season before COVID so it's yeah it's been really fun to get to do this again I mean we still don't have locker room access hopefully that's coming back next year 
Uh, but it's still improved a lot in terms of the access where we don't have to wear masks now. We can have personal, like, a few feet away conversations with players, especially on the road. Uh, it's more doable to have kind of those one-on-ones that are really valuable. Um, so it's been really nice to travel. And even just from a, you know, kind of tourism standpoint, um, the past couple trips to California and Florida have been pretty nice to <laughs> get some beach time, get some good food and uh, just enjoy that. So, yeah, it's been it's been really good to, to be back on the road after last season being kind of so boring and uh, just stationary. So. Thank you for asking. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Been really fun. <laughs> and to kind of continue that, what are some of your favorite uh, cities and arenas to go to? Whether it's just like from a like a media standpoint or just like atmosphere standpoint, well, at least for the arena part. Yeah, there's so many ways to approach it um, because, like, like you said, you look at cities. I mean, uh, L.A. is really fun. Um, I really like Denver. I think is a great city. Um, Boston, Montreal, although I. Uh, didn't get to explore Montreal too much this year, which hopefully for the draft. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like New York. I have friends there and Detroit friends there. Raleigh is home for me. So I always enjoy uh, that trip. I mean, there's a lot of cities that are fun. And then um, you narrow it down to arenas. And again, there's two ways to approach that, whether from a media standpoint or just from a sort of atmosphere or attendance game presentation standpoint. Um, I mean, Pittsburgh from a media standpoint is pretty unbeatable. Uh, that press box is amazing. They have uh, the best pretzels in the world. Um, <laughs> so uh, that probably would be number one in terms of um, like the media standpoint. Although Edmonton is close, that wow. they their food there is really good, really spacious press box, um, well laid out, really nice modern arena. So those are probably the top two for media standpoint. Uh, but then from atmosphere, um, I mean, it's it's a lot of the places that everyone says, like Montreal and New York, obviously, with Madison Square Garden are pretty special places to go. And um, in terms of game presentation, I think Vegas probably takes the crown, but Seattle's done a really good job. Even Vancouver has a really awesome game presentation team. I actually got to meet them when we were up there in the fall and uh, talked to them because their intro video was just something insane you you have to look it up on youtube um, but it's like a nine minute like marvel themed sort of mini movie of sorts it's crazy so um and then in colorado that i um i love their third period intro uh with bob o'reilly which is one of my favorite songs and they have a really cool on ice presentation that accompanies it so i feel like that's one of the best things about this job is just getting to go to every arena and see all the little quirks and the special things that make each of them different even though they're all like similar in many ways um, and just really get to appreciate all of that kind of stuff. I was, I was going to ask, how's the infamous catwalk in Calgary? <laughs> I love it. I think it's super cool. I mean, that arena is really weird and not great. Like it's tough <laughs> to get in. It's like kind of falling apart and everything, but I think I, the catwalk part of it, I think is, is really cool. Um, it's just the best part is just making fun of Mark Lazarus. Being terrified of it. So I, I like going out there just to show him the pictures from being out there. So I, I actually personally like it. I think it's like the oldest arena in the NHL. Well, I think Madison, oh, definitely. Term, but it's like, but it's like the oldest arena that hasn't any like major renovations or any of that. So yeah, um, and it seems like they're going to be stuck with it for a while. Yeah, they backed out of the new arena plan. Yeah, they've been trying to get out of it for like what five six years now. So yeah, I feel yeah. it's been longer than that. Yeah, yeah. 
Anyways, um, let's get on to the the Blackhawks. Unfortunately, we have to. Um, <laughs> again, <laughs> again, when we had you back on in August, we were still early August. We were still over, like we were still in shock over the Seth Jones trade and just how bad of a trade it was. But again, fast forward eight months, he's probably he's probably he's definitely been the the Blackhawks' best defenseman, and I would argue probably the best like season that they've had of a defenseman since like probably Duncan Keith in his prime years because he's been that good. But I, I feel like we'll never be able to fairly like evaluate him just because of that trade and even the contract. But uh, um, I guess this is kind of a two-part question because um, I, I, I want to ask you what you think, how like how like you think Seth Jones has done the season as he passed your expectation because I think he's de- definitely passed ours and um, – also, do you think they go and get a defensive partner, whether it's through trade or like a free agent signing? Because they did have basically Kelvin DeHaan was his most uh, com- common uh, partner this year in terms of ice time. And the fact that he did well with Kelvin DeHaan as his, uh, as his most common line mate is, I think, is a testament to how good Seth Jones is. And you wonder if they get maybe a better defensive partner from like maybe not Zach Wierenski like he did in Columbus, but if you get like, I don't know, maybe like Travis Sanheim out of Philly that that could really take his game to another level. Well, yeah, he has exceeded my expectations. Um, I know I was really critical last summer of all of that. I didn't think it was going to be bad or anything. Yeah. Um, I think it was just a a terrible trade. And I mean, it hasn't aged well because I think having the first round pick right now would be um, extremely valuable, uh, especially considering this rebuild. And and also Boquist had a, a really good year in Columbus. Aged like um, so, milk in the sun. <laughs> Cole yeah, Sillinger I, got a hat trick this year, too. Let's yeah, Sillinger's that. been pretty good, too. Uh, he has a bright future. So, yeah, I, I still think the trade was a huge mistake, and I think pretty much everyone would agree at this point. But, yeah, I think Seth, it, it's not been any fault of his. I think he has played pretty well um, and definitely been the Blackhawks' best defenseman, and um, especially the first few months when um, pretty much everyone was playing terribly. He was he was really helping hold things together as best he could. So, um yeah, he's exceeded my expectations. It's not he's not been, you know, like the best like MVP level player, but but yeah, yeah. he's been he's been very good and um I think it this defense would be a lot worse without him. Um as far as next year though, I think it's gonna be kind of him having to carry the load again. I mean, I can't really see them going out and acquiring anyone at this point. I think the whole it's gonna be entirely based on getting draft picks and prospects and um, maybe not outright tanking, but I don't think they're going to mind being one of the worst teams next mm-hmm. year. I don't think they're going to go out their way to make the playoffs. Like, no. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess so I, I think maybe we could see them try to get some sort of like if they do make a really big trade, like trading Kane or Debrinket or someone, then maybe they'd try to get back like a a really young um, like defenseman with a bright future, maybe in the first few years of his career. Um, and put him with Seth Jones. Like, I think if they do get an NHL player to partner with him, it'd probably be in that kind of scenario. But I think otherwise it's just going to be him kind of with a bunch of a bunch of guys just carrying the show again. And maybe they'll try to put, like, Ian Mitchell or, or somebody with him to, to get a prospect like that experience. I was going to say also, like, do you see anyone in the system that maybe would – I don't know, not not to say cater to Jones's game, but like you could see as maybe a partner in the coming years, maybe in Rockford, because I know they they're pretty high on a couple of 
the, a couple of the defensemen in the system. I don't see them as like high ceiling type guys, but like if they have chemistry, yeah. you never know. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a really, really deep defensive prospect pool. That's the most encouraging thing uh, really in any facet of the franchise as far as looking towards the future. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't know if any of those guys are really going to be top pairing defensemen uh, when they reach their peak. They just have a lot of sort of NHL caliber guys. Um, but I mean, e- even if it's a guy kind of overslotted to be on the first pair with Seth Jones, that you'd hope that Seth would be able to cover for him a little bit um, and that it would also experience him being there, even if he was initially struggling in that kind of role. Um, so I think a, a guy like Mitchell, who I think might still have the highest ceiling of any of those guys. And I know we haven't seen a lot from him this year, but I think that's because they've wanted him to play 24 minutes a night. In Rockford, Rockford. Consistency. Mm-hmm. Um, I think next year we're going to see a lot of him again. Like he's going to be back in the NHL next year, I would expect. And he would, he would be the guy that maybe makes the most sense. But um, I mean, we could also just see a rotation of, of prospects playing with Seth Jones to try to get um, them all experienced with that kind of situation and see who fits it best. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I'd love to see guys like Galveston Phillips maybe get a look on his um, left side just to see maybe what a more defensive-minded defenseman would do with him. Like, I, I agree. There's the With the options they have in the prospect pool, you can kind of just test it out next season and see what sticks and what doesn't, which is good. You you have options at that point. I um I actually wanted to go back to something you mentioned earlier. You were talking about DeBrinket, and um, I know he's eligible for that $9 million – minimum extension come like whenever this calendar year starts and i know his name's been dangled around in trade rumors and you just mentioned if they were to trade it to bring it and they got a haul and stuff do you see them working on that extension sooner rather than later or are they gonna are they gonna kind of hold him out see how he plays and maybe dangle him on the trade market again once or twice like they already have mentioned to have done the last two off seasons Yeah, I, the, I mean, the true answer is I really don't know um, because it's, it's still a little unclear, I think, what exactly kind of rebuild we're looking at here. I mean, it seems like Davidson's very committed to it, and I think he should be, but are we looking at a, like a really tear-it-down rebuild, like we're going to try to tank outright? Um, because obviously having to bring it on the team, it's kind of hard to tank. Uh, he's very good. So yeah. <laughs> um, if, if Davidson wants to like tear it down completely – then I could see them trying to trade him. But if he wants to try to keep a few guys to build around, um, like Seth Jones too, because of his contract and maybe even Kane, Doc, Reichel, um, then then I think you keep the Brinkett and, and just have him kind of try to carry the offense through some year, lean years and knowing that he should still be um, a very good player in his prime in three years when hopefully you're coming out of this rebuild. So it's, it's really hard to say at this point. Um, I don't know yet exactly what the Hawks' plan is, and I think hopefully this summer we'll get a clearer idea of what kind of trajectory they're exactly going on and, and how that might affect him. Yeah, I agree. Like, I agree with uh, we'll probably get a way clearer image in the summer. It's just like, I don't know, from a fan perspective, when you keep hearing Debrinket's name getting thrown out there by Sarah Volley, you just kind of look to yourself like, okay, what kind of rebuild are we doing if we're not going to keep the guy who probably could be part of the next leadership group? Part of the next regime. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, that's where they – like, everything else that I've heard dangled around in rumors with the Hawks, I've kind of come to terms with. But if they trade Alex to Brinkett, I just don't see where they're going with this rebuild. Unless they yeah. are absolutely tanking for Iserman and Bedard the next two years, which is fine if you are, which is fine. But we have seen how scorched earth rebuilds have gone in the past. Buffalo still has not recovered from the yeah. McEichel years. You can argue Edmonton still has not recovered from the McEichel years. And they have no. the two best players in the world. So, like, I've preached this to Pierce on the show. I preach this to my friends all the time. I'm for doing a rebuild, but you cannot tear it all the way down, in my opinion. And that's kind of where I like, that's why I asked that question, just because if they do tear it all, all the way down, there's going to have to be a lot of questions I, or a lot of unknowns that need to get answered by the front office. Cause I, I don't think Rocky words is going to be too happy when people stop going to games. Cause Kenny and DeBrinket aren't there. Cause that's very much what's going to happen. So yeah, there's two approaches you got to take to a rebuild. In my opinion, it's just going to be interesting. Like it's just going to be very yeah, interesting. I, I agree. And, and you're right that the, the scorched earth, scorched earth rebuilds, which is a good term for it have not, um, had the greatest track record. I guess the one counter argument would be that the Hawks are starting with so little. Um, like you, you obviously have to give up something to get something, and they really don't have a lot of um, future assets. Like they, the the forward prospect pool is maybe the worst in the entire NHL. Yeah. Um, they don't have their first round pick this year. Like they, they're they've built up a little bit of draft capital with like the Hagel trade and and a few others, but it's not like they have a ton of first round picks coming up. And I mean. It, I I think that'd be the counter argument is they need to accumulate future assets and they really don't have a lot to work with to get that other than guys like the Brinkett. But I agree. I mean, I I think if it were up to me, I would probably keep him. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page of keeping him. At least, like, I'm glad. It's I don't know. I just I the like the business side of it. I get it. And then there's like the emotional fan side of me where I hear his name in the in articles and I'm just like, why is this even happening? Yeah, like, okay. I I would it, say that I think Sarah Valley might be over dramatizing. Oh yeah, <laughs> I think I think we've all admitted he might he could be a tad hyperbolic at times. But yeah. um, I I yeah, it, it'll just be interesting for sure going forward. And like we talked about it with Hagel for months. If they trade Hagel, you have to it has to rock your socks off. And I think we can all agree yeah, that yeah. getting two first and two roster players for him that's that's probably as good as it's going to get. Um. If the if the offer comes for to bring it that rocks your socks off, I guess you can't say no. Yeah. But I just I just don't see what that offer is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it would have to be. I mean, if Hago got two first round picks, it'd have to be like four first round picks or something. Like <laughs> yeah, that. and you'd have to get like a blue chip prospect. I would have to imagine. Like it, it, yeah. you can't just be taking swings at first round picks. It would have to be someone who you know is going to be a bona fide star. And I just don't see that. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah, but um. Enough about the more dramatic <laughs> ideas of trades. I, obviously, the Blackhawks have um, have a good bit of RFAs to sign, obviously, in like UFAs. Like you got guys like Lafferty and Strom who have had very strong second halves and could argue they deserve extensions. And then you have guys like Doc and Kubelik who probably haven't had as strong of um, second halves as they would like, but they're also RFAs. I was just wondering um, maybe where you think the Hawks stand with their upcoming RFAs. And I, I know you, I've seen articles where they said they might not even qualify Strom and Kubelik. Like, I'm just wondering um, maybe who's going to, maybe who stays and who goes just from your best guess. I yeah. Know. I mean, talk, uh, we talked to Davidson in Tampa last week um, and he was asked about Strom and Kubelik and he was definitely noncommittal about it. I would say um, at the least. So 
Um, <laughs> I would not be surprised to see them part ways with both those guys. I mean, Kubelik, I think especially, um, it's been a rough year for him. He's 27, I think. So even though it's only three years into his NHL career, he's not really a young guy. Like he's not going to still be in his prime probably when you're coming out of the rebuild. Um, so I could definitely, and he's be kind of expensive relatively to keep. So I definitely would kind of be a little surprised to see him keep them, keep him, uh, Strom, I think, I mean, obviously it's been a very hot button topic all year. Um, I think, I think they should keep him. I know a lot of the other reporters do. I seem a lot of fans do. He's a very popular guy. He's obviously had a fantastic second half. I don't get the sense that Davidson is as high on him as most people are. Um, and I, I think that's also partially because a lot of other GMs aren't as high on him and haven't really been offering him the kind of return that you'd think Strom would, would garner. And I think that is part of why he, he knows that Strom isn't going to have as much value as people think. Um, I, I, I would hope they re-sign him. I think they should. He's a good player. He can. Um, he's still pretty young. He can carry you through these years. And um, if you're not going the scorched earth method, then you can keep him with the brinket and um, I, I think it's a pretty clear formula that, that he can be a good player in that role. Um, but I just don't get the sense that the Hawks are fully committed. And maybe they will once they figure out what his asking price is and think about things over the summer and formulate a clear plan. But I wouldn't be surprised to see them walk away from him too. Obviously, Doc, they're going to re-sign him. Um, it, it's obviously been a tough year for him. He's not developed as anyone has hoped. Um, but, I mean, the one silver lining is it's going to mean his next contract is going to be uh, pretty cheap. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty cut and dry. It's just a matter of when they get it done and, and what price it is. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I like I, I definitely agree with that. what you said earlier. If the, I think the other GMs have kind of stated what Strom's value is. If you couldn't trade him at the deadline when he's had a white-hot second half for a return you thought was valuable, that might be the writing on the wall. And to be fair, Strom has gotten these, like, I think Pierce, you and I have talked about this before. Like he's gotten these big points and big minutes because he's glued to the top line for the last 30 games. He can't do it when he's not on the top line. And I guess yeah. that's kind of where Davidson is at, at, at a, and I guess to a point, I understand that, but I think like, like we also said, if you go score turf, you still need guys that score. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I could definitely see a world where, he gets let go, but then it's also just an asset management thing, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm a guy, I'm a firm believer that if you're going to lose someone for nothing, that's a bad asset management move from a business standpoint. And I feel like Calvin DeHaan, we've talked about this on previous shows. Like even if you couldn't have gotten like what you would would have liked for Calvin DeHaan, you still could have gotten maybe a fourth or a fifth, maybe just to get something just so you don't lose him for nothing in the off season. And that, it, I feel like if you lose Strom for nothing, that's just, um, Maybe not the best asset manager, but like you said, if the market's not there, then the market's not there. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think that's the one knock on Davidson so far is that maybe he hasn't been willing to lower his asking price to just get something for these guys. Like Han, like I, I'm pretty sure he did get offered like a few offers for him at the deadline. They just weren't the second round pick that he was looking for. And that's why it didn't happen. But I agree. Like, I mean, he's a UFA. He's almost certainly not going to stay. So why not get something? I, I agree with you there. I mean, we with Strom, we could see them. If they're not going to keep him, maybe they deal his rights as a draft or something like that and, and still try to get something out of him. But, but yeah, I think that's, that's a fair criticism of Davidson's first year here. And he's got time to fix that, obviously. It's, just, it's barely even his first, like, what, full month. So, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he he's got like 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 he's like we said like definitely the traits he's made. You can tell how much of a leash he has with his moves. So I'm patience is definitely gonna have to be a key with Davidson for sure going forward. Well, especially with the rebuild in general. Like rebuild's not gonna fix overnight. Like oh, it's gonna, gonna be like late 2020s before they even become like a playoff team. Like it's gonna be a long time. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I think you're going to ask this question, Dylan, but, like, I think it's kind of just, like, uh, transitions nice from the last, the last question. But do you think Sam Lafferty stays in Chicago? Because I think he – I think the management likes him. I think fans have started to really appreciate his game, including me. I don't know about you, uh, Schmitty, but <laughs> um, I do think Sam Lafferty is a guy that can stay and play in a bottom six role. That's – Yeah, I, I think Sam – sorry, I just, just want to say I think Sam Lafferty is a great fourth liner. That's all I want to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he could be a third liner, honestly. I think I think he's gonna we're, we're gonna see more production out of him next year. Like I really I get the sense that that's gonna come for him. I, I mean, I think it's almost certain that he's gonna stay. I just uh, put out a new article a couple hours ago that um, he wants to stay. He said that uh, the other day, and and Davidson wants to keep him. I asked him that specifically last week when we talked to him, um, and he had really like great things to say about Lafferty said that his style of play um, is, is been really what they're hoping for. It compared it to Hegel, which is a comparison I've made before. And another people have started to make too. Uh, his, his season this year and Hegel's season last year really have a lot of similarities. I know he's a lot older and he's not going to be maybe that good, but I think he's, uh, he could be on a similar trajectory a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think he's almost certainly going to get re-signed um, and, and he'll be affordable too, which obviously makes it easier. Like he's making 750 K right now. I could, I certainly won't be more than 2 million probably in the one to 1.5 million range. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a no brainer to bring him back. 100%. He, he, he's one of those guys that he could tell skates and has a really strong work, work ethic on the ice. And uh, yeah, maybe the offense isn't there at all times, but it, it has started to come around lately. And he's gotten looks with some of the top guys. And I feel like if you have a rebuilding team, you just need guys who are going to go out there and try every night. Cause like some, yeah. there's going to be guys who take a night off sometimes. And like, I feel like that's the biggest, I feel like that's the biggest thing I got out of the Alex Nylander trade for him is that he wanted someone who was going to try every night. And Alex, Alex Nylander, as good as he was at times, took off sometimes. Sam Lafferty doesn't take a night off. I will he's like the much. he's like the anti uh, Alex Nylander. Like he does everything that Nylander doesn't do, but he can't score like Nylander does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I th- yeah, I think if you a rebuilding team having a bottom six of six Sam Lafferty's is about as good as you can get. Like obviously <laughs> he's not going to be like a game changing player, but just to establish that kind of culture um, is valuable when you're trying to rebuild and and improve the culture for the future. 100%. And um, I know we keep talking about re-signings and stuff, but I feel like we're right back to the same conversation we had with the Blackhawks around two years ago, where we don't know what's going to happen in net. We're kind obviously Marc-Andre Fleury got traded. We kind of, I, I feel like both Pierce and I thought that wasn't going to happen for the longest time until mm-hmm. around like that Sunday, Monday when he got traded. But um, you know, it, it leaves a giant question mark in net. Obviously, Kevin Lincoln hasn't had the season he would like to have. Um, Colin Delia has looked about as good as you can look without having as much NHL action as he's had in a couple years. And, um, you know, you got Soderblom in the minors. I don't – Camesso's not seeing the NHL next year at all. I just um, 
I'm just maybe where where do you think the Blackhawks go in net next year? Do you think they stick with the guys they have? Do they maybe pick up a free agent? Like obviously they're not going to go spend on like a Jack Campbell if he makes the free agency or something, but like they're going to like they got to find a stopgap. Someone's got to stop pass. So <laughs> I'm just curious maybe where do you where do you think they go this offseason? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a big question mark. Um I don't have much more of a sense of it yet than than you guys do. Um I wouldn't be surprised if they brought back Lincoln in just to see if Maybe he can recapture what he was last season, considering there's going to be pretty much no stakes next year. And if he's bad again, you can wave him or something like I'm sure he'll be cheap. But I also wouldn't be surprised to see them let him go. Like it could go either way, really. Um, I think Soderblom, it could also go either way, whether they want to keep him in the AHL for another year or um, have him as the, the NHL backup, I think. I mean, I don't think you're going to run with a Lankin and Soderblom duo. So I think it really comes down to if you want Soderbaum to be an NHL backup next year, then you probably part ways with Lincoln in and then vice versa. Then you keep Lincoln. In. Um, I mean, maybe we could see them make some sort of affordable UFA signing just to kind of have a guy to, to fill that role for a year or two while they figure other stuff out. Or maybe they try to take a contract off someone's hands like Peter Mrazek, obviously. We heard his name talked about in some of those rumors, and I'm sure <laughs> Toronto might be trying to move him this summer, even though they didn't at the deadline. So maybe you try to take him and get like a draft pick for taking him and hope that he revives himself in Chicago the way he did previously in Carolina. Like he's kind of had a career of reviving himself and then falling apart again. So, and then at that point, maybe you try to trade him and get something out of it. Like I, that's just speculation, but maybe they'll try to do something like that. There's so many different ways this could go. Uh, it's going to be really interesting because they really, I mean, it's a total blank slate if they want it to be. They have pretty much no commitments as far as the goalie situation. And I feel like that's kind of maybe a situation Kyle Davidson wants to be in, maybe going into the rebuild. He has options. He's not necessarily locked into like a long-term contract, like a five-year goalie, let's say. like he He could pick his guy from the start and go from there. And obviously we saw like, a lot can change over the next couple months. Like Alex Nedeljkovic, I don't think anyone thought was going to get traded at the draft last year. Like yep. there could be goalies available that you just don't know that are younger and maybe fit the wit not the window that they're going to be in, but you know, like they're obviously if they go sign Thomas Grice and that's, that's what they do and they're going to stink. We know what they're trying to do, but I don't know. I, I think if you can maybe find like, obviously like, like you said, an affordable signing that maybe still has some upside, like, there's got to be someone out there. I don't know. It, it'll definitely be interesting, though, because I definitely don't think it's going to be Lincoln and Delia next year again. No. There's just no way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I I mean, I know Delia is well-liked by fans, and uh, he's a nice guy. He's, he's had some decent performances, but I don't think they really see him as part of the future. Um, I, I mean, I think you can learn from the Flurry situation. They got him for literally nothing and then traded him for a second-round pick, so – if you want to try to do that again with somebody, uh, that would definitely be a smart idea. So, yeah, we'll, so we'll see what Vegas is done with Leonard, be taken back is what I'm hearing. <laughs> oh, um, I think I will move on to the two, probably the two biggest questions I have about the Blackhawks this offseason is uh, the first one being, does Derek King remain a uh, head coach or not? Because I, I think like maybe a month ago, I was really in favor of it because Derek King just seems like the guy who can be – 
you know, like easy and he's not like, like, I guess stuck up, but like Jeremy Carlton was like, it's very, like, you can tell they're a lot more loose than they used to be. And I think that's a huge thing going into a rebuild where it's, you, you probably have it in the back of your head that you're not going to be a good team and you're probably going to lose close to 50 games. And you just kind of need that, that, that light presence in the locker room. And I feel like Derek King does bring that. The players do like him, at least from what I heard and from what I know. But then there's another part of me that's like, that's not quite sure. And like the effort levels just aren't there some nights. And I, I have no idea. Like, again, like I have no idea this is it's going to be uh, answered in the offseason. This is something that Kyle Davidson has to worry about. And but I still do think he should be the head coach, probably, because I just I just don't know what other head coach is going to be good enough to come in there, especially for a rebuild. Unless you they unless like some team just goes crazy, like, for example, like Boston, like, I don't know, like goes out in the first round of fires Bruce Cassidy, then you absolutely cannot pass up on potentially hiring but I, I don't think that happens but anyway but I still do think Derek King does stay the head coach and I just wonder what you think about that yeah I've kind of gone the other way I think for a lot of the season I didn't think that he had a very good chance of staying the head coach but the past month or so I've kind of actually started thinking maybe he has a better chance than I thought because of pretty much what you said that um, if you're a, they're going to be a rebuilding team they're going to be losing a lot they're not really going to be trying to win um, so if you just want a kind of a placeholder guy for a few years who will keep everyone happy and keep the team united and on the same page, even when they stink, Derek King's about, he's perfect for that. I mean, he's a really nice guy. He's done a fantastic job keeping the mood light and just making the season as tolerable as it could be. So if, if you're looking at the next few years being like this year, then I think he'd be a good choice, honestly. And, and selfishly, I would love it because he's great with the media. <laughs> he is very open and honest. And when he says he doesn't know, it's he's because a good he, he literally doesn't know. Like, he, he doesn't hold anything back. Um, so Anti-trick. I would love it. But, um, I, yeah, I think it's really been in the past month or so that I've been thinking that, that maybe he has a better chance than I gave him for that reason. Um, obviously – you're probably going to be able to find a better coach out there if you want that. But it's just a matter of whether you want to get the best coach or whether you want to just have a guy who you know the players like who will provide stability for a few years and then down the line, then you try to maybe get someone else when you're ready to start winning again. So, And that's not a knock on King. Like I, I think he's a fine coach, but um, I don't know if he's like kind of a, a Stanley Cup kind of yeah. coach. So. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand. But it, I mean, the true answer is I really don't know yet. And I think even Kyle Davidson doesn't know yet. Um, mm-hmm. He's He said he really hasn't committed much thought to this yet. And his, the plan is that after the season, then they'll start looking into this. So um, I think, yeah, there's really not a whole lot concrete yet to, to report on. Yeah. I feel like if you gave, like, injected Derek King with true serum, he'd even be like, okay, maybe I'm probably not the best coach for this. Like, you even heard earlier in the season, he's like, I have no idea if I'm going to be here past next year. And and I just feel like he, he would be the perfect guy for the next, like, two or three years to – and, again, he's probably not the best. You could probably go out and fi- find a better head coach that's better that, like – better from like an X's and O's standpoint that could help this team be better. But I think a big thing is like big, that's going to be over this next few years is morale because like, it's not there. The Kyle Davidson, again, like if you inject him into your true serum, he probably wants to get Connor Bedard. He's definitely not going to go out of his way to make this team good and a playoff contender, or even like get a chance. Like he probably maybe not actively is going to make them lose, but he's definitely not going to help them make him make them any better. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I was going to say one thing with David going forward. I don't like, I'm just maybe getting your, like, what would you do in this scenario? So obviously the Blackhawks have their top two protected first this year. They're planning to stink next year. If they win the lottery, do you, they take that pick, right? And they just write off that they're not getting Bedard or Mitchcock next year. Yeah. Right? I, Cause the Hawks are going to be a bottom five team next year. And if you win the lottery, you're giving up a bottom five pick again. Like, I don't know. I, that's actually a debate I've been having with some other people lately. Uh, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think, I mean, if you win the number one pick, like you absolutely take that. It, but two is the real interesting part is the number two pick. On your face. Yeah. Um, like if, if, unless you fall in love with like Logan Cooley, I don't know, man. Like <laughs> for one thing, I don't think they, I don't think they have the option. Like, I don't think they get a choice. It's just an interesting hypothetical. Um, but we actually asked Davidson this question last week, too. Um, and he was very adamant that you take the number two pick. Um, yep. He raised the point that, well, actually, I don't know if he raised the point, but I'll raise the point that even if you're the worst team in the league, you have a less than 50% chance of winning one of the top two picks in the lottery. So even if they're going to be literally the worst team in the league next year, I think you still take the number two pick than take a, like a 45% chance of getting a number two pick next year, a top two pick next year, even though I know that's a stronger draft. And Davidson raised the point that a lot of drafts look stronger a year out, that it's kind of it, things look better when you don't know them as well. And then once it becomes that year and you start scouting them and players get injured or have down years or anything, then you start getting a closer sense of reality and maybe it doesn't look quite as amazing. Um, his argument was kind of that he, it's, he doesn't necessarily think the next year's draft class is better than this year's draft class just because we currently think it is. Um, so I thought that was interesting and, and a fair point um, that kind of ignorance is bliss as far as you just know the overview and you don't know the specifics of each talent, each prospect's pros and cons. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, he would definitely take the number two pick in a hypothetical, not that he really gets a choice. And I think I would too, <laughs> but it is a very interesting question. Oh yeah, definitely. Because I it, it I just feel like like obviously if they get a Shane Wright or a Logan Cooley or a Simon Damage or so, whatever happens with the lottery this year, that obviously changes the way the rebuild's gonna go. I just I'm very curious where that makes Davidson go the next season specifically. Because if you don't have your own first again the next year, obviously you have Tampa's, but yeah, that's probably gonna be in the late twenties or yeah, 30s. exactly. Yeah. Like I that makes me wonder if they maybe go more into recuperating assets or I don't know. Like if they win the lottery, I just think Davidson's rebuild plan completely changes than what yeah. he's thinking right now. I feel like, I feel like, again, I feel like he, he knows like they're not going to get that first round pick. And like the, I feel like they, I feel even as like fans, like specifically me, I'm like, just rip off the bandaid. Let's like no first round pick this year, unless Minnesota makes the conference final or. Come on, Pierce, um, it's going to be Minnesota versus Edmonton. And yeah. Gonna yeah that's those that's picks. what they need. <laughs> yeah, and then Edmonton makes the Stanley Cup final, so that turned into a second round pick. That's right. Yeah, but I feel like, well, like I definitely feel like you and I, Schmitty, are like, let's rip the bandit off. Like, no first round pick this year will suck. Seeing Columbus probably get a top ten pick, but oh, Columbus know, like, is getting Brad Lambert. Like, it's happening. Yeah, I, I, probably gonna get someone to it. It's gonna sting, but at least like we can go into next year knowing, hey, we got two first round picks, even though one's probably gonna be again be late twenties, early thirties, but we might get another top ten pick. So. But again, if they do get if they do get a top two pick, you especially number one, like you go onto that stage with the biggest smile on your face and say, "Yes, I am taking Shane Wright." Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I think by this time next year, I mean they could have more than like 
they're, they're probably going to make more trades and they're going to get more draft picks. Like they, who knows how many first round picks they'll have for next year's draft by this time next year. Like it's going to change a lot in the next year. Yeah. And it all just comes down to like what those guys want in the locker room. Like if Tane Taves want out, like, yeah, that's going to be very hard to sell to the fans, but you, you could still get a haul for Kane. You're going to get more than you probably expect for Taves. If you can get double retention, it's just like, there's a world where the Hawks could have like three or four first next year. I feel like mm-hmm. if they do trade Patrick Kane, that could be like kind of like a Seth Jones trade where you get like maybe not a top 10 pick, but like kind of in that 10 to 15 range like Columbus did. And yeah. like the, that kind of that same return. Yeah, yeah that, I think that's fair. Could be in the same, same ballpark. But at the end of the um, day, it's up to them. So Yeah, and kind of the transition to that next question, the last question, I think this has got to be the biggest question is, do Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane stay Chicago Blackhawks? Because um, obviously, well, they're not UFAs this upcoming offseason, but they're eligible for extensions. Obviously, their their careers have been intertwined. Like they, I, I remember I was listening to Mark Lazarus on his podcast with Scott Powers, and it was like, these both of them have made the same amount of money for throughout their whole career, and now this next contract it's 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 not going to be like Patrick Kane's definitely going to be making more than Jonathan Taves is, and there's a lot of like ego thing to it. Like, do the, the are, how are they going to be okay with like are they going to be okay with that? And there's Jonathan, and I think the biggest one to me is Jonathan Taves. Like, does he want to be here? Like, he's openly been the public, like been the public, like he's been upset about rebuilding them, losing Brandon Hagel. There's just there's so much to it, and does he want to be a captain of a rebuilding team? And even if you don't want to be part of a rebuilding team, are you going to be okay with going to a team where you're going to be in a lesser role and not being the captain? Whereas I think with Patrick Kane, I think he wants to be part of this, this next wave. And I still think he could be like a guy where and he, just the way he plays, he always avoids physical play and that's to his benefit where you could probably keep him into his late thirties when it kind of has a, as like a secondary guy when you got this next wave, hopefully of, young players to help hopefully win another cup in Chicago. But Taves, it's just, it's so different for me when he's had injury issues and I don't know. I just, there's so many angles to it and I just want to hear your thought on it. Yeah. There's a lot of angles and like everything else we've been saying, we really don't know yet um, where it's going to go. I mean, only they know, I I get the sense even Kane really hasn't thought about it that much. Um, Taves obviously is definitely thinking about it more, but I don't think he's made any decisions yet. Um, Obviously, his health is also another factor. Like, we don't know how he's feeling or how difficult it's been for him to play this full year. And if he's thinking that, that maybe next season will be his last season or if he, he plans to sign another contract, like, it, that's another factor to it, too. But, yeah, there's so many ways he could go, and it's it'll be fascinating. It'll be one of the, the biggest moments uh, in the past five, eight years since the Hawks won that 15 Stanley Cup because this is kind of the – the final culmination of what happens to that core now that it's been whittled away down to just these two guys. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really fascinating to see what happens. And obviously that question is going to become huge as the summer goes on and as they become eligible for those extensions and just get bigger and bigger. And it's just going to be kind of a waiting game to see what those two guys decide because I know Davidson's not going to do anything unless they, they tell him they want something. So, it's just waiting to, to see what their kind of mental process is and where they end up deciding what they want to do or, or if they do decide. I mean, maybe they they just kind of hang around and come back next year and the question lingers into the season and towards the trade deadline and maybe we're talking about this for a very long time. So 
who knows? Yeah, it just it's just gonna be a waiting game pretty much. Yeah, and I I mean I agree with that. And obviously I like that Davidson's being very open with them about this whole process. I like the last thing you need is your franchise cornerstones to be shocked by anything, even though I feel like even when you tell them, they still get shocked of what's happening just because of the way the hockey world works. But um, I I don't know. I just feel like like they've earned the respect to have all the cards in their table. Like all the cards are all the balls in their court right now. They can do whatever they want. They can stay. They can go. And I feel like they've earned that right to do what they want to do. And that's just kind of what it comes down to at the end of the day. And I know Pierce and I have differing takes on how they should go about with those two, but um, I. It'll it'll just be interesting to see what they do going forward because it's it, it's definitely going to shift how the franchise is run. Because if you don't have a Patrick Kane or a Jonathan Taves there anymore, that's that's it's a very different looking roster next year. It's a very different looking organization next year entirely. So it'll just be very interesting to see what happens this summer, <laughs> say the least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's yeah, there's so many infinite implications. Yeah. Really, I mean, it's from the ticketing side to. Who who would be the captain if Taves is traded and or or leaves and yeah it just goes on and on and on but but you're right I mean they've they've earned this right to decide what they want to do um, and we'll just see see what they decide yeah again I feel like Kyle Davidson where he's not actively trying to trade him but I also feel if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Dave, both of them walk up to him and say I want to get out of here he'll definitely uh, help facilitate a tra- facilitate a trade so. Yeah, this, I think I I don't think he'd be too upset to hear it either. I mean, nope. if Kane wants to go, I mean, you can get so much for him. Like that, that really changes the speed of the rebuild from like we've been talking about. Like you could get you could get a lot of assets for him. And I and I feel like that's the thing, uh, Pearson. I kind of argue with Kane specifically is if he wants to go, you cannot lose that trade. You can't. You have to absolutely get your socks blown off on that trade. Because if you lose, like you're going to lose a Patrick Kane trade to begin with, unless you get a blue chip prospect. Like we talked about this, you're not getting the best piece in the trade. You're hitting a bunch of magic beans, which is the big thing with the reveal, obviously. But you really have to make sure you're getting something that at least the fan base can get behind. Because I don't think if you trade Patrick Kane for strict futures, the casual fan base is going to sit well with that. Like I feel like most, like, anyone who's listening to this show is pretty hardcore. They're going to eventually come to an understanding of it, but you know. The guys who spent a bunch of money on the team, I don't know how happy they're going to be with it. And that's just where I feel like – I don't know. I know Davidson doesn't feel like that, but I feel like higher up, that's going to become a problem. I don't know. I keep circling back to that, but it's just like – I don't know. I, we've seen how, Ro- we've seen how Rocky likes to react yeah. when he doesn't get money. So <laughs> let's just put it that way. That's all I will say on that note. Sorry. Yeah. Um. There, again, there's just like we we saw we know Kyle Davidson's rebuilding, but there's just so many more questions than there are answers, and we're probably not going to find out till July, what like near the draft and near free agency. So, um, Schmidt, I don't know if we have any more questions to ask, or we can uh, end this off. <laughs> no, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Sorry about you know rambling for forty five. No, minutes. <laughs> it's, it's, I agree with everything you guys say. You have. Very informed opinions. Uh, so, yeah, happy to come on. And thanks for all the consistent Twitter engagement as well. I always <laughs> always see you guys there in the notifications uh, column. So, 
Thanks yeah. for Thanks for, jinking, my thanks for jinxing the Vegas game a couple weeks ago. That was great. I was like, Ben, don't do it. And then everyone was just like, you did it. I was like, oh, gosh. I I mean, I got to admit, like, I was thinking of the second emission, like, I feel like there's a very real chance they blow this game. And while that would obviously stink for the Blackhawks, it would be extremely lit in this arena. And I kind of want to see that. And it was probably so, I'm not that upset that I jinxed it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, I just remember watching that interview, and I think Taves got interviewed in the second interview. He's like, yeah, well, we can't blow this lead. And then I was like, well, checks watch five minutes later. <laughs> I don't even think it was that. It was like three minutes. Oh, it was yeah. so much less. Yeah. Yeah. I, let's put it this way. At least the Hawks the last month have been entertaining to cover. It hasn't been just mundane hockey like the first couple months. Yeah, they've been playing some wild games. It's definitely, <sighs> yeah. it's definitely been more fun from that standpoint. Yeah, <laughs> they've kept it interesting. Less, uh, less five one beat. We just gotta, we just gotta see if they can keep their playoff hopes alive on Thursday. Yeah, it's gotta win Friday. out. Come on now. <laughs> I think if Nashville wins, I forget. They're playing one of these next two nights before the Hawks play, and if they win, then the Hawks get eliminated before they mm-hmm. even take the ice again. So we'll prepare the final. Don't worry, <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> yeah, Ben. Thanks for coming on. Like. It, like we're we're honestly so blessed with like Blackhawks beat writers like you, Mark Lazarus and Scott Powers and Charlie Romeliotis. And I look That's at awesome. like I live in Edmonton, I look right here and I just see the discourse that happens with the Edmonton media here. It's like, oh, I'm so glad that that's not not us like as a Blackhawks fan. So I'm very appreciative of that. I'm glad you came on and uh, hope you enjoyed the uh, the last month of the season or so. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I appreciate the kind words and. Yeah, I mean, it, hopefully we can get through without too much more chaos and get to enjoy a little bit of rest in, in May. So, yeah, it's definitely counting down the days at this point. <laughs> yeah, I think they got 10, 12 games left. Yeah, they're yeah, at 12 games, games left. Home stretch. Yeah. yeah. Last month, and then the playoffs are going to be seen. It feels like we're – actually, I want to ask that. Who do you think, before we go, like, who, who do you think wins the Cup this year? That's a good question. It's it's never been harder to predict. I feel like I mean there's so many, so many good teams. Um, I mean I've been I've been strong on the Colorado bandwagon for years, but there's such an obvious pick now that I don't know if I can like get away with uh, predicting that. But um, maybe even it's Toronto's year. Who knows? Like mm-hmm. yeah, there's mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know. There, it, you could you can make an argument for like ten different teams. It's, you really can. It's like, tough. It, I'm going to have to predict someone when the playoffs start. Like, we always run a little playoff prediction spread in the sometimes. And I really – I don't know. I don't know. It's tough. I mean, Florida, they look pretty good too. And Tampa's Tampa. But Tampa, yeah, I don't know if I can justify picking Tampa or Colorado. I just look too boring. So, I think I have to pick somebody else. But I don't know yet. Yeah, I know. I know. Pierce and I always joke. It's like we're, I'm picking Tampa until they get knocked. That's just the way it yeah. is. You, until you beat the top dog, the top dog's getting picked. So, yeah. But this is this is going to be the year the top dog gets knocked down. That's for sure because they they're, they're, they're going to have to go through a bloodbath to even get back. And to they're the exa- they got to be exhausted. They've won two cups within less than a calendar year. Oh yeah, you if you've watched the Lightning games, you could tell they're waiting for May. Like they're they're like yeah. that Hawks game in general, you could tell they were waiting for May. When they turned it on, they were just like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that's the Lightning still." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they. I think they have been cruising this season yeah. for sure. And when but, you're that talented, you can. The Hawks used to look like the, it was, yeah, it was like the Blackhawks in 2014-15. It was like they maybe weren't at their best, but like when they turned it on, they were they were the best. So, 
anyways, enough about uh, <laughs> living in the past. Uh, yeah, we're, <laughs> we'll uh, end this off once again. Ben, thanks for coming on and uh, enjoy the rest. Enjoy the rest of the season or as much as you can, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. Uh, we'll try our best <laughs> again. <laughs> <laughs>